Good morning, everybody. It is so good to be with you and to see you all today. It's Easter Sunday, uh, which means that in our Christian tradition, we greet each other in a particular way. This is the day that we say to each other when we see one another, He is risen. And then when we hear that, we say back, He is risen indeed. And this little back and forth, this is our tradition, it's our ritual, because this claim, He is risen, is, as it turns out, the central proclamation of our entire faith. It's the fact that everything else we believe is built upon. The one and only thing we believe that our actual salvation depends upon. He is risen indeed. And on Easter, we go back to that central belief, to that central fact, because no matter where else our journeys throughout the year take us, no matter where our faith is in this moment or what our struggles are, or how we are or are not growing ourselves, we want to make a point of remembering each and every spring that the single most important thing is the absence of something, the absence of someone. The tomb in which Jesus of Nazareth was buried is empty. And the reason it's empty is because he is no longer dead. He is risen. He's risen indeed. This morning, I'm hoping that we can tie our proclamation about Easter Sunday to two particular things. First, I want to try and connect it to the series that we are exploring right now as a church, which is called In the Valley. In this series, we are looking for how the words of the Bible meet us in the moments when we are lowest, when we are struggling and hurting. It's a series about mental health, and we're looking at this right now because as we start to get closer and closer to being, quote, back to normal, we want to make sure as a community that we honor and address the hard places that we have all been this past year. I believe Easter, I believe the empty tomb speaks to this. And then the second thing that I want to do is to connect the empty tomb to the bigger theme we have for this entire year, which is permission to hope. I want us to ask, how exactly is it that the resurrection of Jesus from the dead opens up new and hopeful possibilities for us in our own lives and in the lives of our communities And if you're the sort to write this kind of thing down, here's the big idea for this morning, which I think can tie all of this together. The big idea is that we have to give up in order to grow. We have to give up in order to see a real miracle happen. I said a moment moment ago that when we say, He is risen on Easter Sunday. We are making a claim about Jesus. In fact, we're making the single most important claim that we can make about him. And here's what I mean by that. The the part of the Easter story that is beyond dispute, the part that is testified to by witnesses both among Jesus' followers and among the Roman authorities who crucified him, is that on the Sunday morning following Jesus' death and burial, the tomb where he was placed was empty. 
Jesus' body was gone. Both the Bible and Roman records tell us that this was the start of something almost like the opposite of a murder mystery, in that where a body should have been, a body couldn't be found. And so questions and theories begin to spread far and wide in the wake of this discovery, this discovery of an absence. For the Roman and Jewish authorities, the likely culprits, the likely explanation for this absence are Jesus' followers who might have stolen his body so that they could claim that a miracle had occurred. We know that they're thinking about this because we see a little glimpse into this conspiracy in Matthew chapter 28 when the guards and the chief priests gather and the priests tell the soldiers, quote, tell people that his disciples came by night and stole him away while you were sleeping. And this story, Matthew records, has been spread among the Jews to this day. Now, this makes sense as an explanation to the Romans and to the chief priests because it explains that absence. Jesus is not there in the tomb because his disciples have stolen his body in order to prolong his story. But the problem is that in the Gospels, we also see that among those followers, a very different theory is forming. For them, for, for Jesus' disciples, the explanation for the absence of the body is that Jesus' enemies stole his corpse for the express purpose of heaping insult upon injury for them. The disciples are the victims in their own minds here when it comes to the empty tomb. To the disciples, the absence of his body is best explained as this act of continuing cruelty which drags out something that it's clear they believe is completely over. I'm struck when I think about this by the words of Mary, who's the first person to witness the empty tomb, when she reports back what she's seen to the disciples. And she says in John 20, I'm sorry, chapter 20, verse 2, she says, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. It doesn't sound to me like on Easter morning, Mary is formulating a conspiracy because she's not looking for a risen Jesus. What she's looking for is Jesus' still-dead body, which she fears has been hidden in order to keep her and to keep Jesus' disciples from finding any closure with him. So, one of the strange things about this whole story on Easter is that on Easter morning, Although we know from both Roman uh, accounts and from the accounts of the disciples that Jesus' body is missing from the tomb, on Easter morning there's still no consensus among anybody about what has happened to it, which means that there's no claim yet. And in fact, things stay that way all day long. After Mary leads the disciples to the empty tomb, they find Jesus' burial clothes folded on a stone. And then the Bible says in John chapter 20, verse 10, quote, the disciples went back to their homes. The disciples went home. They didn't go shout about a resurrection from the dead from the rooftops. On Easter morning, the disciples didn't believe the resurrection had even happened. 
even more than in the moment of Jesus' crucifixion, it's Easter morning when the disciples feel most profoundly and completely defeated. And the empty tomb on Easter morning is an exclamation point on their failure. Until it isn't. At this lowest moment, when hope isn't about to be lost, but hope has already been completely lost, in that moment, the miracle makes himself unmissable. I'd like to read a bit now, continuing on in John chapter 20. This is verses 11 through 16, which say, But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this to angels, I add as a side note, she turned and she saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was him. Jesus then said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him, Rabbi. Isn't this the most lovely possible way to tell this story? Seeing angels... Seeing Jesus, Mary still can't see the miracle until the miracle calls her name. Jesus calls her, and that's when she understands. So she runs to tell the disciples, but of course they still don't believe. For them it's all still over. And then, in verses 19 through 20, we see that on the evening of that day, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. I don't know if you grew up in Christian culture or not, but if you did, there's this common image that Christians use of Jesus standing at the door of our hearts and knocking. And the idea in this image is that it's our choice, right, as sinful people in this world to let him in or not to let him in, to accept or not accept the miracle. And there is definitely truth in that. It's an image that comes from Scripture after all. But I think that we should set that image right next to this one, where the disciples have locked the doors where they are out of fear, where even after hearing word of his resurrection, the disciples don't believe it, and they are afraid of their, their enemies, and it's clear that they have just utterly 
and completely given up. And yet, in that moment, Jesus doesn't knock. Jesus just comes right in. He stands among them, and he offers to show them the wounds in his own body, and then the disciples are glad. Then the disciples see the Lord. And this story is also true. A story where Jesus finds us even when we have completely given up. He finds us when we are fearful. He finds us when the only situations we can even imagine that might explain the facts of where we find ourselves are dangerous and frightening and hostile. He finds us when we're paranoid. He finds us when we're hopeless. He finds us. And the miracle becomes unmissable. There's a lesson in here that might be hard to hear, but I think this year of all years, we need to say it on this Easter Sunday. And it's that it's okay to feel like you have given up. It's okay to be defeated. It's okay to lose and to be absolutely unable to even imagine a way where you can spring back and win somehow. Because this isn't an American sports movie or a superhero movie where the heroes get to a point where all hope seems lost and then at the last second they rebound and win. This is a gospel story where the God of the whole universe in the flesh is killed by his own creation, dead as a doornail. He's buried in a tomb. No comeback happened. No shot went in at the buzzer. And his followers, scattered and afraid, go back to their houses and they lock their doors. In chapter 21 of John's Gospel, we found out that some of them went back to their boats and became fishermen again. And there... Jesus finds them. The hope of the gospel we believe in is a hope that doesn't avoid the defeat of death. The hope of the gospel we believe in is a relational God who defeats death altogether who chases down his beloved and embraces them, who will literally fight through hell to save his children from it. The hope of the gospel isn't just the Jesus of the cross. It's the Jesus who is missing from the empty tomb. It's the reverse murder mystery Jesus who presents himself and who gives us the proof of that claim that we all make on Easter Sundays when we say, He is risen. He is risen indeed. I think we have to give up in order to see this. In order to say this and really understand it. If we don't understand that the game is already over, that there's no chance left for us to rally and to make a comeback no matter how unexpected it might be, if we don't get to that point of defeat, we're not in a position to understand the full reach of what it is the resurrection means. And one reason is because the resurrection proves that we were wrong to be so afraid 
of that buzzer. To be so afraid of the apparent end of things. To be so afraid of death. The resurrection proves that the story of this world is entirely, entirely in God's hands. That the story of this world is entirely under God's authority. There's no boundary to it. There's no deadline. Any limits, even the limits of our own lives, are secondary to God's will. If I can put this as simply as I know how, what I'm trying to say is that God is greater than we are. And to really encounter and experience the fullness, the greatness of God, we have to get to a point where we accept the limits of ourselves. In some ways, when I read the Easter story, it disappoints me that the disciples are so quick to give up on Jesus. After all, Jesus had told them that all of this was going to happen many times. But it's also a tremendous relief to me to read that they behaved this way. Because I'm comforted when I lose faith sometimes too. I'm comforted by this story where Jesus loves his disciples so much that he pursues them even even in their doubts. And that, that story of a Jesus who pursues, that story gives me hope. That story makes me feel like whatever else I'm going through, I can still at least cling to the basic Easter morning claim that he is risen, that I might not be, I might not have many answers, and I might feel lost or hopeless or even totally dead, but he is risen, and a God who can rise from the dead is a God who can do impossible things. Easter shows me that Jesus is more than I am. And he hasn't given up on me. I want you to think for a second about where you are feeling hopeless or helpless today. And I want you to ask yourself, what if that's not a feeling to run from? What if that Hopelessness and helplessness is a feeling to embrace. What if this place that you're so afraid you are is exactly the place where a God who works miracles is looking for you if you are open to seeing him? We have a long road ahead of us as a church family. Right now, as a church, we're homeless, we're grieving. But let me tell you this one thing. I'm not afraid anymore of giving up. In fact, I'm excited to do it. Because when we give up, we can see miracles for what they actually are, which is God loving his people with all of himself. I don't know what God's going to do with our church. But I want my eyes to be open so that I can see him do it. I don't know what God's going to do in our lives. But I know that if we hold together as a community, 
that we can bear witness to it and we can celebrate it together. I don't know what God's going to do in our city, but I do know that it will be a greater miracle than anything we could ever dream to do on our own. Our hope is wholly and completely in this one simple and incredible claim. He is risen. The tomb is empty because death has been defeated. We have been pursued and we have been found. He is risen indeed.